are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you today. We're going to talk a little bit more about the NFL hirings, some playoff news in all of sports. I finished watching the All-Star game. I've got some more thoughts on it from this past Sunday. I've got a few more things I want to talk about in the XFL, and we're definitely going to talk a little college basketball again. We're going to end it with that as the top four seeds in each region were released over the weekend, in case you missed that. And I'm going to get to that Kansas-TCU game from last night. And we will get to that momentarily. All right, let's get started with this. Some interesting notes in regards to the NFL football head coaching hirings this offseason. It seems like we're playing a game of, well, not six degrees separation of Kevin Bacon, a one-degree separation of the Philadelphia Eagles because – Five hires in the NFL this past offseason all have ties to the Philadelphia Eagles. As we know, Shane Steichen got the head coaching job for the Indianapolis Colts. He was the offensive coordinator for the Eagles this past season. Um, I'm already forgetting Gannon's first name. <laughs> but Jonathan. Jonathan Gannon was the defensive coordinator for the Eagles. He got the head coaching job for the Arizona Cardinals. Frank Reich is the now head coach of the Carolina Panthers. He was the offensive coordinator for the Eagles when they won the Super Bowl. With Nick Foles, D'Amico Ryans, who came from the Niners, is now the head coach of the Houston Texans. He was an Eagles linebacker from 2012 to 2015. And even Sean Payton, who's now the new head coach of the Denver Broncos, he was the Eagles quarterbacks coach back in the late 90s, 97 and 98 season. So all roads lead to Philly, but they're going to have to do some retooling because you lost your top coordinators on both sides of the ball, that's not easy to do. And as we know, every season in the NFL is different. Because you were great one season, that guarantees absolutely nothing come the following season. You know the stat. Whether it's 12 teams making the playoffs or now 14 teams making the playoffs ever since 2020, the turnover is about half change from one year to the next. Doesn't mean the Eagles are definitely not making the playoffs next year. I'm just saying. Also want to throw out there, in regards to the NFC East, did you know that for 18 consecutive years, the NFC East has had a different champion? They have not had a repeat champion. A a division that has four teams in it. Not any one of the Eagles, Cowboys, Commanders, or Giants were able to win it two years in a row in the last 18 years. So if you're a betting person, Eagles won it this past year. You probably want to put money on the Cowboys, the Giants, or the Commanders. Why wouldn't you? That's a pretty pretty large sample size. 18 years with no repeat champion in the NFC East. Also, I thought this was interesting. I saw this picture on the internet, so I decided to screenshot it and take a look at it. This is the major four sports, okay? Baseball, basketball, football, and NHL. The number of times in the playoffs in the last 10 seasons, there are only two franchises in the major four sports that have made the playoffs each year for the last 10 years. Do you know who they are? You probably don't, but I'll tell you. The Dodgers are one of them. Go LA. Go Big Blue. The second one, Pittsburgh Penguins in the NHL. No other team in all four major sports has made it 10 years in a row. These last 10 years in a row. Now, there are five teams that have made it nine of the last 10 seasons. 
you have the Celtics in the NBA, the Chiefs in the NFL, and three hockey teams, Minnesota Wild, St. Louis Blues, Washington Capitals. Nine of the last ten seasons. Now if you go down to eight, you've got five, you've got 11. We've got six in the NBA, two NFL, three hockey. So the NBA made it in the playoffs eight of the last ten years. Warriors, Rockets, Clippers, Bucks, Blazers, and Raptors. In the NFL, Seahawks and Patriots. In the NHL, the Bruins, the Predators, and the Lightning. And then if you go down to seven of the last ten seasons, you're opening it up to one, five, ten, thirteen. So I don't need to read those off. But interesting, only two franchises in the four major sports have made the playoffs each of the last ten seasons, and that's the Dodgers and the Pittsburgh Penguins. So go and press your friends with that one. All right, let's talk a little bit more about the All-Star Game this past weekend because there are some things that really stuck out to me. I ended up watching the game last night, and again, it did not matter whatsoever. For three quarters, they didn't even try. The Elam ending kicks in. But at the end of the third quarter, Team Giannis had a 17-point lead. So that meant that LeBron's team would have to get score 41 points in the fourth quarter. They would have to get to 41 points before Team Giannis's team got to 24 points. It just wasn't going to happen. I even thought once the fourth quarter started, we might see a little defense. These guys flat out don't care about that game, and I don't know how you change it. We've talked about this in the past. When you have the all-star games, in football, these guys clearly don't want to get hurt. They're not going to play a tackle football game anymore. That's why they changed it to a flag football game. In the NBA, we've seen what this game has become. It is literally a layup line for four quarters. Maybe. The first year they had the Elam ending, those guys tried with about when the Elam ending was about eight points away. Game was close. They were ding each other up. Last night was a joke. Or Sunday night was a joke. It really made absolutely no sense whatsoever. Um, but you ask, what do you do to change it? The only thing you can do is force these guys to play hard. How do you do that? Incentivize them with what? Money? They're already making $40 million a year. Do you even think if you said, we'll give you $1 million, each of you, if you win the game, I don't think that changes their mindset. They don't want to play hard. They don't want to because it doesn't count and it doesn't benefit them in the long run. So I don't even know what you do. Baseball is the only all-star game where you actually have people trying because you can't you can definitely not try in a football game where we've seen it. They just let them run and barely tackle them. NBA, they don't play any defense. In baseball, you have to defend or else the game will just keep going on. If you hit a ground ball to the second baseman, what's he going to do? Just let it roll through his legs every time? You throw it to the first baseman, he just drops it every time? Like Obviously, you can't not try in baseball. The pitchers are going to throw 90 miles an hour. And if anything, in baseball, the pitchers want to show up some of the best hitters. So you're never going to have a baseball game, an all-star baseball game, where a pitcher is just like, yeah, let me just underhand it to this guy and let him hit it. Like That's not the way it goes in baseball. So baseball will always have the best game, but it's also just as insignificant as the other two. I know they tried to make it those one years where the winning team got to host the World Series, which was dumb. That was an awful, awful plan. So what do you do for the NBA All-Star game? I don't even know. Do you go one-on-one? Do you make it three-on-three? 
Again, why would these guys try? What's the incentive for them to try at the All-Star game? They clearly haven't done it for the last, I don't know, how many years this has been going on. Five, ten years? Back in the 80s, this was a big deal. It isn't anymore. These guys do not care. And the only way you can get them to play hard is to incentivize, but you're not going to attach draft picks to the All-Star game. You're not going to attach team wins and losses to the All-Star game. You're not going to attach money incentives to the All-Star game. That's not going to change how these guys feel about it. You watched the game on Sunday. Maybe you didn't. These guys don't care. It's not even a game. Like, what is the whole point of even being out there if when the other team gets the ball, you just let them do whatever they want and literally just stand there and don't put up any fight? Yes. Jason Tatum set the record for most points ever in an NBA All-Star game with 55 points. I don't even care. That's not the least bit impressive to me. 55 points where nobody was guarding him. All it meant was he got hot. He didn't get hot at any point with a guy in his face. He didn't get hot. Anybody with guarding him, he was literally allowed to stroll to the basket whenever he wanted, shoot wide open threes whenever he wanted. He just happened to make them. Steph had 50 last year shooting as many threes as he did with nobody on him. Now, granted, the only thing that was different is they were launching from like 40 feet. But when nobody's guarding you and there's no pressure, I'm sorry, that's not impressive. I do not care that Jason Tatum now has the record for All-Star Game points. Who cares? 55, great. Nobody guarded you. I could have scored numerous points in that All-Star Game yesterday if they played the defense against me like they did against the other guys, which was nothing. It would just be like me just going out there and shooting whenever I felt like it. So, yeah, I could have scored too. The other thing that I think was just built up and ended up being a big, giant nothing burger was picking the players before the game. Like, we knew who the 12 players on each side were going to be, but then LeBron and Giannis picked them before the game live. Um, I'm sorry, that took 25 minutes. When they started their picks, it was 6.45 Central Time. When they were done with their picks, it was 7.10. Just to say somebody's name and be like, you're on my team. That added absolutely nothing to the game whatsoever. Because ultimately, when those guys were picked and got in the game, what did they do? They played just as hard as everybody else did, which is to say, not at all. So who cares who's on whose team? Nobody's trying. (laughs) You get it? Like, what is the point of any of this? They drugged that thing out so long. And Giannis was having such a hard time comprehending exactly how this even worked. I don't even know if they explained to Giannis how this was going to work. You pick the reserves first. Okay. He thought Ja was part of the reserves. Funny moment. He wasn't. But then you have four other starters up there. So there's eight guys up there, and they're going to be the four other starters. You pick them next. And Giannis was like, okay, this is my second pick, right? Well, I don't know, Giannis. Look at your team. Look look how many people are up there now. There's only six people left. Yes, it's your second pick because you've each picked one. Like, I don't know. I didn't understand it. It was a waste of time. It took way too long. It didn't add to the game in any way, shape, or form. They have to re... I don't even know what to do. I have no solutions uh, for this whatsoever because the only solution is a competitive game. And maybe because it's an exhibition, it's not supposed to be a a competitive game. Fine. But then then you can never complain about why don't people care about the NBA All-Star game. Because it's not competitive and the guys don't care. If the players involved don't care, why should the fans? That's where we're at with the NBA All-Star game.
All right, let's talk a little bit more XFL because there were a couple things that I mentioned yesterday that I think the NFL will adopt eventually. I don't think the NFL is going to abolish kickers at any point, but I do think kickers might just be saved for field goals because I can see the NFL saying one point from the two-yard line, two points from the five-yard line, three points from the 10-yard line. Could totally see that. And then field goal kickers are only there for possibly kickoffs if they do both and or field goals. But extra points, you might as well just do away with them. I'm fine with you have to go for one, two, or three. That would make things so much more interesting because we know if you have a nine-point lead at the end of the game and a team scores, they need two possessions. Well, now they could get a touchdown and a three-point conversion to tie it at nine. So that's interesting to me, and I think it's something they could definitely look into. The other thing is, and I think this will be adopted by the NFL in the next three to five years, We have seen how the onside kick, the rules they have put in place, have made it damn near impossible to recover an onside kick if you are the kicking team. You're only allowed to have X amount of guys on each side of the ball. You can't just stack 10 guys to the right side of the kicker and the kicker just kicks it and you just run full force into the other team and hope it bounces around and you get it. You're only allowed, I think, six at the most on each side of the ball. The kicks, it just is so hard to successfully convert an onside kick and the numbers bear it out. I believe it's less than 20% now since they went to the new rules. Well, I like the XFL's rule. Do you see what it is? And it happened yesterday on Sunday and the team came back and won. First off, the St. Louis Battlehawks were down 15 to three. They got a touchdown and they went for three and got it. So then they were down 15 to 12 and then there was barely any time left in the game. So they had to onside kick, but instead of onside kicking in the NFL, They just say you have 4th and 15 from your own. It's either own 25 or own 30. You have to convert a 4th and 15. If you do, the drive continues. And the Battle Hawks did, and then they went down and scored another touchdown. So what would you rather see, an onside kick that's successful less than 20% of the time or someone trying to convert a 4th and 15 to keep the ball? I'm 1,000% in favor of the latter. And I think most of you would be too. If they went back to the old rules of onside kicking, then maybe I would be down for that. Because if you're a defense and you give up a fourth and 15, well, you deserve whatever you have coming to you because you shouldn't give up a fourth and 15. That's why they have to make it somewhat difficult. And I'm sure they weighed the odds with the onside kick. What are the odds of converting an onside kick versus in the past X amount of years in the NFL, how many teams have converted a fourth and 15? Probably the same amount, probably 10 to 15%. So I'm down for that. And I think the NFL is going to adopt that as well. So keep that in mind along with the replay system, which was excellent. And the kickoff and punt rule. I looked at it again. If you're kicking off, you kick off from the normal spot, the 30 or 35-yard line. I always forget which one it is. 35? But your team on the kicking side, they're at the other team's 30, and those other team's defenders are at the 25. So you don't get a running start where you have to run the full length of the field because that causes injuries. Kickoff returns are the number one cause of the most injuries in the NFL. So they just say, okay, we're not giving you a running start. You start at the 30. And your defenders that are trying to block you are at the 25. 
And so you can't start going until the receiver kicks the ball or if it hits the ground, you have three seconds after that, and then you can start attacking. So much better rule. That's going to be adopted as well. So while I don't give a shit who wins these XFL games, and I don't care, I don't think many players are going to come out and have like a Hall of Fame career. Some might catch on. Some might be a third receiver on a on a good team, whatever the case may be. I'm sure there's going to be a story here or there that catches on and somebody does really well and they'll say, hey, he came from the XFL, he got a chance, and that's what the XFL is all about. I'm sure we're going to see that at some point. But I don't care about the games and the scores and who wins and who's going to win the, you know, the quote-unquote Super Bowl for the XFL this year, and then the USFL starts in April, same exact thing. Don't really care who wins any of those games. It's going to be a lot of players just trying to make it in the NFL. I'm glad they've gotten the opportunity. I'm watching, though, the XFL for these innovations and how they can be added to the NFL. And I know the NFL is watching for these, too, and that's what they are hoping for. And I'm telling you, you are going to see those four implemented in the NFL within five years, I'm guessing. Some of them will probably implement it even sooner. If you didn't see in college basketball this past weekend, the NCAA selection committee named the top 16 teams in the four regions, the South, Midwest, West, and East. And if the tournament were to start today, these would be your seeds in each region. And just looking at them, in the South, you have Alabama, Baylor, Virginia, and Indiana. In the Midwest, Houston, Texas, Tennessee, Xavier. In the West, Kansas, Arizona, Kansas State, and Gonzaga. And in the East, Purdue, UCLA, Iowa State, and Marquette. I'm telling you right now, if that East region stays the same, I don't want to say anything's a cakewalk because upsets happen all the time in college basketball. But UCLA has the easiest road to the Final Four with a number one seed in Purdue who hasn't been to the Final Four since like the 50s, Iowa State, which is not known for their basketball, and Marquette, who, good team this year, solid team, but UCLA is the best team in that top four by far, getting a number two seed. They would be my Final Four team out of the East region if that stays the same. And some tweaks are going to happen before the end of the season, but this 16 that they released on Saturday is a pretty good indicator of what you're looking at for top four seeds in each region. To me, the West region would be the toughest, with Kansas and Arizona being 1-2, Kansas State being 3, and Gonzaga being 4. I mean, you could have a Sweet 16 matchup of Kansas and Gonzaga. You could have a Midwest regional matchup. In the Midwest, Houston, Texas, Tennessee, Xavier. We all know Tennessee's failures in the postseason. Uh, They are a team that could easily get bounced early. I saw a mock I, I saw a mock bracket. Can't remember who they had as the 14 seed playing Tennessee, but I was like, oh boy, that team could upset Tennessee. Shit, anybody could upset Tennessee because Rick Barnes has been awful in tournament time. And did you see Tennessee this past weekend? Just a few days after beating Alabama on their home court, the number one team in the nation, they go to Kentucky and they lay a big fat egg. 7 of 27 in the first half, 1 of 13 from threes. That's what scares me about Tennessee. This year's team, just like past teams, has a tough time putting the ball in the basket. And last time I checked, the object of basketball was to score more points than your opponents. And they struggle with that. And they can always drop a 7 for 27 half on you like they did this past Saturday in Lexington. So anyway, keep an eye on that. And let's wrap it up with the game of the night last night in college basketball. Kansas gets revenge on TCU. TCU beat them at Fog Allen, like I said, badly 
about a month ago. They were up 20 points 10 minutes into the game. It was a rout. It was 30-10 to 10 with 10 minutes left in the first half, and you're just like, whoa. And Kansas never cut it under 10 the rest of the game. Well, Kansas gets their revenge last night. They win in Fort Worth. They win by five. Close game all the way. I don't think anyone led by more than seven the whole game. It was really close, really good game. Still like TCU come tournament time. They're just getting Eddie Lampkin Jr. back and Mike Miles Jr. Got a lot of juniors on that team. But they are going to be underseeded because they are now 18-10, and 10, which sits you right on the 5, 6, or 7 line in the tournament. And depending on their draw, this is a senior-laden team. Everybody came back from last year's team that got to the round of 32 and almost took out the one seed in Arizona, took them to overtime, and everybody came back. They are a good team, so keep an eye out for them. But, yeah, I did. I think they were going to beat Kansas twice in a month. Probably not, So, but it was a really good game if you watched it on ESPN last night. So just wanted to talk about that game and just let you know, keep your eyes on TCU come tournament time. It all depends on seeding, region, where they're playing, there's a lot of factors involved. What if they go on a four-day run and win the Big 12 tournament and then they have a game on Thursday to start the tournament? Like You have to take all those things into consideration. Your first-round game is either going to be Thursday or Friday, but Big 12 plays the weekend before the tournament. You could play four games in four days. You just don't know. So a lot of factors involved, but just keep your eye out on them. So thank you all for listening. Really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review an Apple Podcasts. Got to get the Sports Daily as many viewers and listeners, not viewers, but listeners as possible. Subscribe. It'll be in your feed every morning by 9 a.m. Eastern time, and we kind of go from there. So thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. And remember, sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you.